minutes a day, 365 days a year. This is the Pack a Day Podcast. Welcome back to another episode of the Pack a Day Podcast. You can get all your Pack a Day updates by following us on Twitter at Pack a Day Podcast. And remember to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, TuneIn, Stitcher, or Spotify. And of course, you can always check us out at CheeseheadTV.com. My name is Kyle Fellows, and I am joined, joined as always, by my co-host, Andrew Mertig. Welcome back to another Friday edition of the show. It is great to be here as always. It's that interesting time in the offseason. There's the gap between the draft and OTAs, and we don't always know what to talk about. But I think we have some great subject matter for today, um, even though I believe the first thing we're going to talk about is something that I kind of feel like is bordering on ridiculous. <laughs> so we do have a great show concept in general, but we are going to take a little bit of time uh, to talk about the Tom Silverstein article that came out today. Uh, Andrew and I have both read it, and I would say, you know, I haven't studied it carefully or examined it with a fine-tooth comb, looking for nuggets of truth here, but we've read it and we have some initial thoughts that we do want to share. So if you haven't read the piece, you're going to have to read that yourself. Uh, Silverstein basically says that there are some people who believe that the Packers organization might be headed into trouble because of the way that they have structured themselves. Mark Murphy has essentially placed himself in charge with Brian Gutekunst, Russ Ball, and Matt LaFleur, all reporting directly to himself, Mark Murphy. This is a little bit of an odd structure for sure. We've talked about this in the past, but you'll have to read the full article to get the gist of what Tom is saying in full. Uh, But I'm going to read one of the quotes from the article, and then I'm going to let Andrew respond a little bit. Um, And I believe Andrew's ready to go on this. So let's, let's look at this quote. It says, speaking with current and former members of the organization, agents and friends for some of those employees and people who do business with the Packers, nearly 20 in total, they believe that there are concerns that the organization is headed down is headed down a faulty path. So, Andrew, tell us just your initial thoughts uh, on this article and what he's talking about here. It's mostly going to sound like, ugh. It, <laughs> seems, it seems like every time there is a downtime where there's nothing to talk about, there's these hit pieces that come out on the Packers organization, whether it's about Aaron Rodgers, whether it's about the structure, whether it's about whatever. This, to me, just reeks of Tom Silverstein needing something to write about in the doldrums of the offseason that are going to draw eyes to his articles. And I just, I just don't get the argument at all. The Patriots have a structure that nobody else utilizes across the league. It It's almost archaic, but it works for them. Um, it, you know, making a judgment that something can't work because you haven't done it in the past is just bordering on ridiculous. The Packers have had a lot of success with that previous structure where the head coach reports to the GM. They also had years and years and years and years of failure before that. So maybe having Goot and Russ Ball and Matt LaFleur report to Mark Murphy doesn't work. But how on earth can anybody judge that, especially a reporter? I've I've worked in a lot of different work environments. I'm currently even in a leadership position. And some of those environments have been great. Some of them have been downright toxic. And the difference 100% of the time is the people, let me repeat, the people in those environments, no matter what the power structure happens to be. So I don't know if Mark Murphy is the right person to be leading the franchise. I think he is, but how would I know? I don't work with the guy. Even if 
he isn't that's a question about him as an employee or as a leader of an organization not who reports to who Absolutely. And I agree with Andrew here. Uh, Andrew's a little bit fired up about it. And I think rightfully so. The article goes on. It really does paint Russ Ball and Mark Murphy in a really negative light. And what I think is key here is that the title of the article is Critics of Mark Murphy's New Packers Management Structure Say It Could Lead to Dysfunction. Okay. So first, we're already admitting that they are critical of the structure. So obviously, they're going to have questions. Secondly, the title itself says it could lead to dysfunction. Not that it will, but that it could, which is the most ridiculous point ever because anything could absolutely lead to dysfunction. So as Andrew said, there's absolutely no way to know if this structure will work in Green Bay. We'll have to wait and judge that later. It's a different structure for sure. Uh, that doesn't necessarily mean it's a bad one. So we'll we'll play this out. We'll see. We'll try to do our best to wait and judge until we've seen it uh, on the field and around the organization and uh, judge that at a later time. But today we are doing something a little bit different. We decided to open up this episode to you, the listeners. Earlier this week on Twitter, we asked you to send in your questions and your hot takes so that Andrew and I could respond to them. And so we are going to have some fun with this. But by the way, wait, let me cut you off for a second. This was such a great idea that we had about the mailbag that Steve and Dusty stole the concept for today's show. Or, well, yesterday's Yesterday's. show. (laughs) Thursday's show. Um, And on top of their massively incorrect Oreo takes, they are also idea thieves. So I, I see that when Sarah's out of town, they run out of ideas and have to borrow ours. Absolutely. And I, all I want to say, just in, in good fun to those guys, but a little bit of seriously, is stop it. No, I'm just kidding. You guys you guys did a great show. But uh, absolutely, knock it off with the peanut butter Oreo takes. That's terrible. I don't know what you guys are talking about. And who about. doesn't want the most filling in their Oreos? That's like getting a cheese Seriously. with no cheese in it. <laughs> this is just getting off the rails, Andrew. We got to talk about. I am fired up. <laughs> fired. All right. Uh, we're going we're gonna to break today's show up into two segments. Uh, first, we're going to do our best to give our honest answers to the questions that were sent in. Thanks again for sending those in. We're excited to get to those. And then we're going to turn our attention to a segment called Buy or Sell. And we received some pretty hot takes this week. So Andrew and I will buy or sell your hot takes as well. So uh, why don't we jump right in here and... Uh, um, just go ahead and get into these questions. I get to read the first question, and this is from at NYC Pack R Back R. I believe that's probably NYC Packer Backer. Um, <laughs> what rookie will make the biggest impact? Oh, that's a good question. I think I think with this question, we're probably assuming in year one is probably the question, and so I'm going to go with Darnell Savage. I think that Savage has the instincts and the play speed to step right into this defense, kind of like Jair Alexander did last season and show up in a big way. And so I also think he's going to find himself on the field the fastest. He's almost a lock to start next to Adrian Amos. So I think Savage's combo of instincts, athleticism, and the opportunity to get on the field would lead me to think that he'll have the biggest impact in year one, even over a guy like Rashawn Gary, who was obviously drafted higher. 
Yeah, Savage probably is the odds-on favorite, but I would say don't sleep on Elton Jenkins, or Elgton, as I like <laughs> to call him. Um, there is a possibility he wins the starting job at right tackle. Um, he is really, really good, and though most people will notice a few good plays by a skill position player over an offensive lineman, Jenkins should be a player people are really, really excited about. Yeah, I absolutely agree about Jenkins. He was my second thought there. I think there's certainly a chance he has a very impactful season and could definitely steal a starting gig right away. And I think Rashawn Gary will certainly find ways to impact games. But the reality is that Savage and Jenkins are both going to have an easier time finding snaps and getting on the field than Gary, even though he was their highest pick in this draft. So a little bit interesting that maybe you know a later first-round pick and a second-round pick might find the field and make an impact before the guy taken at number 12 overall. But uh, let's move on to our next question here. This one comes in from Brian, first name only, Brian. Don't know your, your last, oh, maybe I do know your last name. Your handle is Nelly 309 So uh, but Brian says, who do you think are the starters on defense as the roster stands today? Starters on defense, that, that, that is a complex question, and, and I think it really depends on what a starting defense is, uh, you know, what you happen to be talking about in in um, that sense. In the traditional 3-4, I think you go Mike Daniels, Kenny Clark, Dean Lowry as your line men um, at linebacker, probably Preston Smith, Blake Martinez, Oren Burks, and then Zedarius Smith. And you'd go Jair Alexander, Kevin King at corner, Adrian Amos, and Savage as the safeties. However, it is often said that nickel is really what your starting lineup is. And so I'm going to take a little bit of a different approach here. In passing situations, I think who I would put on the field are Zadarius, Mike Daniels, Kenny Clark, Preston Smith, right? And then you have Rashawn Gary and Fackrell in a rotation there. Um, I actually think Blake Martinez and Adrian Amos are your linebackers. So that that that's going to be a little weird to people. Um, and then I have Jair, Kevin King, Tremont Williams, Josh Jackson, and Savage. And I think Amos actually could play that dime linebacker role. And so unless Josh Jones really proves something early, um, I, I think I could see Amos playing that because he's such a solid tackler and he's comfortable playing around the line. And I'm not really ready to put Oren Burks out there in important situations. Plus, the flexibility Tremont Williams and Savage would give Mike Pettin in the secondary. Being able to move the pass rushers around on top of that is really going to confuse the living daylights out of some of uh, the opposing quarterbacks that they face. Yeah, 100% agree with Andrew here. And I think the best thing about thinking about who the starters are on this defense is that there are significantly less question marks than there have been in years past at this point in the offseason. I think the biggest question marks are probably around how big of a step forward Josh Jones and Oren Burks can make going into 2019. But really, this defensive unit is in a really good spot from a talent perspective. And that's really a testimony to how Brian Gutekunst attacked free agency and the draft this year. Uh, there simply aren't a lot of huge holes on this roster. Yeah, Brian Gutekunst was somehow able to do that with Mark Murphy looking over his shoulder every second of the day. I almost made that joke, and I was like, I'm just going to like destroy it. So <laughs> he stepped in there for me. I, I was just waiting for it. Um, <laughs> so our next question is from Peter uh, at 88PJS. Do you think that's because he owns 88 pairs of pajamas? 88 PJs? <laughs> I Pro probably. 
I'm always so intrigued by people's Twitter handles. Um, what position battles should we watch? Great question. I'm still thinking about pajamas. Okay. Um, what position battles should we watch? I'm really excited to see who wins the starting guard jobs. I think most people assume that Billy Turner will end up at right guard. But Lane Taylor is lightly penciled in at left guard, and I think that there's an army of guys who are gunning for his spot, and the most threatening of which I think is probably second-round pick Elton Jenkins, or Elton Jenkins. Uh, and even apart from his performance, that was really bad. I tried yeah. to throw that G in there, and it just didn't happen, so I've eliminated that from my vocabulary. I'll strike that. Um, but even apart from his performance, you have to think that the Packers will be eager to get their second-round pick onto the field. Uh, but Green Bay also has Cole Madison back after a year away. And as a fifth round pick, he's someone who the Packers really liked and someone that Matt LaFleur said that he was really high on last year when he was in Tennessee. So, you know, I know it's offensive line play and that's not always the most exciting position or the one that gets the most attention, but I really am excited to see who wins these guard battles in camp and in the preseason. Yeah. my first thought was also guard. Um, and, and so when I knew you were talking about that, uh, I, I really took a deep dive, and I think tight end is probably the position I'm most interested to see what happens, which is weird because the depth chart is almost solidified there. Um, but we know LaFleur has always uh, worked in and developed systems that utilize dual-threat tight ends, and now he has a room with Jimmy Graham, who is not a good blocker, Jay Sternberger and Robert Tanyan, who have a ways to go to develop into decent blockers, and Mercedes Lewis, who is always been a really great blocking tight end, but was a massive disappointment in the passing game in 2018. So how LeFleur and Nathaniel Hackett utilize these players is going to be really fascinating to me. And also maybe the possibility of them adding another uh, veteran, like maybe a Lee Smith. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Peter at 88 PJS. So still on our PJs here. Also sent in a follow-up question. Uh, which I think is really interesting. He wants to know, is there going to be a real kicker competition in Green Bay this offseason? <laughs> I'm way more interested in the long snapper competition. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's my way of dodging this question completely. Uh, actually, you know, thinking about it, maybe that's my ticket to fame. I'll become the foremost expert on long snappers. I'll develop some draft profiles, maybe like evaluate the upcoming free agents and like long snappers are people too like right like Rich right, says right yeah absolutely uh and, and seriously i have absolutely no clue about sam ficken but i know you do you had some thoughts on oh uh, ficken and somebody else uh, i have i have some recently. i have some thoughts but i mean like i don't know that they're good or like informed <laughs> just um, pretend, just seriously pretend. though what would a long snapper competition even look like like I know so little about evaluating long snappers. Like, I have they, no idea. They had one last, all all of the preseason, and the person who clearly won the competition didn't make the roster. So I have no clue what that looks yeah. like. I don't know. Apparently, they don't know, like, what they're looking for in a, in a long snapper competition either. But uh, I really thought there might be a kicker competition when they brought in LSU kicker Cole Tracy for a tryout. I thought, you know, wow, this is really going to get crazy if the Packers have three kickers in camp. But they didn't end up signing Tracy. And last I saw, he was down visiting the Saints. I don't know if they worked out a deal with him or not. But I guess they didn't want to have eight kickers in camp like some other team in the NFC North. I just imagine those, like, eight kickers spread out across, like, the 40-yard line, just, like, all running at the ball at the same time. Um, but I Who's think, even uh, holding the ball in Bears camp? They're like, just like... 
there's a guy holding two balls at the yeah. same time, and there's kickers running at both both arms at the same time. <laughs> uh, but I think competition is really healthy, and I think Sam Ficken will provide that, if nothing else. But I do think at the end of the day that I expect Mason Crosby back in Green Bay in 2019. Yeah, and, and being really good as, as a, a kicker in August is one thing, but being able to hit clutch kicks in November and December in Green Bay um, is an entirely different thing, and you want somebody to be a seasoned vet. Um, and if, if you know the money that the Packers are paying Crosby, if fans don't think it's worthwhile, well, there were a lot of people in Chicago who said Robbie Gold wasn't worth the money uh, for the Bears, and that has not turned out particularly well for them. Either. Yeah, they so, want him back right now. <laughs> yeah, and uh, our next question is from Edward Mitchell at Eddie Dagon. Dagon. I'm gonna go with Eddie Dagon. Okay. Oh, yes. Yes. That's it. Okay, man, I'm really bad at this. Um, who leads the Packers in sacks in 2019? Can Fackrell do it again? Oh, man. Uh, listen, Fackrell proved the world wrong when he had the production that he had in 2018. There's no doubt about that. But there is no way that he does that again. First, his snap count is going to be significantly reduced from last year with the additions of Zadarius Smith and Preston Smith and Rashawn Gary. The Packers really did load up at edge rusher. Uh, Fackrell goes from something like edge two, maybe, behind Clay Matthews, to edge four. So that's an awesome overhaul that the Packers were able to pull off this offseason at edge. But no, I don't think that Fackrell can do it again. I don't think he can put up those sack numbers. I don't think he's going to be on the field that much. Uh, But I do think that it's a great luxury that the Packers will have a proven player as their fourth edge rusher. That's absolutely incredible that that's where the Packers find themselves. But I would put my money on Zadarius Smith to lead the Packers in sacks in 2019. They paid him to be an impact player, and he's rarely going to leave the field. His versatility will allow him to rush off the edge um, on early downs, and then on passing downs he can kick inside and even rush as as a three-tech or something along those lines. So I would expect that the Packers would uh, expect that Zadarius can can improve his sack numbers from eight and a half that he had last season in a more primary role for this team. All right. Uh, Listen, Kyler and I have a long history. I may have said that I'd help him with his grocery store applications after he got cut last season. I may have referred to him as the worst player in the entire NFL. Those things may have happened. But I'm not going to live in a hypothetical world where people remember the things I've said and hold me accountable to them. (laughs) I just refuse to. Fackrell has made a lot of people look bad last season, and and perhaps no more than myself. Uh, But the facts are that his sacks versus pressure rate was nearing on him an impossibility. I'm not sure his sack numbers would be reproducible even if he was a full-time starter, but he has immense value as a fourth edge rusher. He'll be an especially important rotation player because he brings more speed and dip than anybody else they have. So um, on Monday's podcast with Andy, the guest was Thor Nystrom. Um, it, check that out if you haven't yet. And he talked about Rashawn Gary as being a relief pitcher. So basically the analogy there is he has just two pitches and only one is really good. So... An opposing tackle is facing fastballs and sliders, like bull rushes all day because you have Rashawn Gary and you have Preston Smith and you have Zadarius Smith. And then suddenly you bring in the guy with the crazy changeup. And, and that's Fackrell's speed rush. 
and he he gets caught off guard, right? He's used to setting um, and and taking on that bull rush, and all of a sudden he sets a little too soon, and Fackrell dips around him. So I think six sacks is is going to be a really successful season for him as as a rotational player, and uh, probably me not sticking my foot in my mouth about Kyler would be a successful lead up to the season for me. Um, and to answer the question, I have no idea who's going to lead this team in sacks. I actually foresee a, ser- a scenario where there's like four or five players that all have between six and eight sacks, and um, they have a pretty wide distribution rather than one big sack number. I'm still dying over here thinking about you offering to help Kyler Fackrell bag, his, bag groceries. <laughs> I think the exact quote, and I, I just looked this up while you were talking, and I quote, the only sacks I want Fackrell to be concerned with this year are whether I want paper or plastic. <laughs> I'm dying. Uh, at least at least you didn't predict a career year for Jason Spriggs in 2018 like I did. So uh, there's there's that, I guess. But That's a silver lining, but mine yeah. is significantly worse. Thanks for thanks for researching that. Yeah, no problem. You talked for long enough for me to, to me to get there. So uh, thanks for doing that. But uh, we've got another one here. This is from Morgan at mhaley28. How many wide receivers make the final 53-man roster? Ooh, uh, that's an interesting one because there's going to be a lot of impact based on how many tight ends they actually keep. But I'll go out on a limb and say Devontae Adams probably has a good shot at making the roster. Say that's a fair assessment. That's pretty, pretty fair. Yeah. Um, Geronimo, Marquez Valdez-Scanlon, and Equinemius St. Brown seem like locks to me. I think Jamon Moore is going to be a, a surprise in the preseason, a really pleasant surprise. And so I think the final roster spot um, is going to come down to either Alan Lazard or a return specialist. So um, the guys that I identified, Trevor Davis, Joel Davis, or Darius Shepard. So I'm going to say six receivers. My official prediction is Joel Davis as the sixth guy. So um, one of the things I always go back to, there's a lot of NFL teams where the special teams coordinator gets, say, on four roster spots. They get to choose kicker, punter, long snapper, and then one special teams ace, right? It can be a returner, it can be a gunner, those kind of things. If that is the case in Green Bay, and really nobody actually knows if it is or not, but if it is, Sean Menenga is blessed that Tony Brown is good enough to make this roster as a cornerback. Because he's going to be his top-notch kick coverage punt gunner. So he's not going to have to use one of his roster spots on Tony Brown. So he can use that additional spot on a return guy. And from what I've seen from my limited exposure of Giants film, Jewel Davis seems pretty special at that. And so um, I like him early on, but that'll all play out in camp. Yeah, so Andrew says six wide receivers make this team. And for me, it's hard to cut this list down to just six guys. But I did some research on Matt LaFleur teams. And in 2018 with the Titans, they kept six wide receivers. In 2017 when LaFleur was with the Rams, they kept six wide receivers. And in 2016 when he was with the the, uh, Atlanta Falcons as the quarterback coach, they kept six wide receivers. You have to go all the way back to 2015 in Atlanta to get a team that kept more than six wide receivers on a team that Matt LaFleur helped construct. And so that said, I agree with Andrew that I think the Packers are going to keep six wide receivers. I think that LaFleur's system simply doesn't have as many wide receivers on the field at one time on a regular basis like McCarthy's did. And I think they're it's going to be really hard for guys that I love, like Jake Kumaro and Alan Lazard, to make this team, especially when you leave 
room for a returner, as Andrew mentioned. Um, but now we want to turn our attention, just, just for a few minutes, to a few of you guys' hot takes, which were pretty hot. So we're going to get into these. Uh, we're going we're gonna to kick this off, uh, buy or sell, and talk about uh, this first hot take is about the 2019 rookie class. So from NYC Packer Backer, hot take, no rookie will play more than 50% of their potential snaps in the season. So I've already said I think Elton Jenkins is going to be the starter at right guard. So um, that would hopefully be that he plays more than 50% of the potential snaps. But I could go a little bit further on that. I think Kingsley Kiki actually has a chance to start on the defensive line. He's really, really good. Um, and and I think he's going to thrive in Mike Pettin's scheme. And I think he has a chance to bump Dean Lowry. However, that's a rotational position, so maybe he doesn't get to 50%. Um, I'd also say don't sleep on Dexter Williams taking over some of those uh, carries uh, at the running back spot. He's just so perfectly fit for Matt LaFleur's scheme, um, and I like Aaron Jones, but you never know if he's going to stay healthy, and you don't know how he's going to react to a new system. Um, but again, a lot of rotation with running backs, so maybe he doesn't get to 50%. Um, but with all of those options, I think I would let that hot take cool down a little bit. Yeah, I'm going to have to sell this one as well. Uh, in my opinion, I would take it would just take something terrible, like a big injury, uh, to keep Darnell Savage off the field. So I think he crushes this hot take on his own. I think he'll be out there for more than 50% of the snaps that are allowed to the defense. That said, I think that the real hot take here is Andrew mentioning Dexter Williams taking some of those starting uh, carries, potentially, from our uh, the running backs on the squad. And I, I know that you didn't say that this is going to be a starting player. But as a fantasy owner of Aaron Jones, I do not want to hear this nonsense <laughs> about about Williams creeping in and taking those carries. So uh, I will sell on this, and I think that Darnell Savage is the primary candidate to take care of this one. You, you know how frustrating Tennessee's running back situation has been to fantasy <laughs> owners? Well, welcome to Green Bay. Um, Matt LaFleur loves rotating those running backs. Um, so the next hot take is from Luke Gardner at Luke Gardner 269. Um, I think Gmo will outproduce all wide receivers on the roster, not named Devontae Adams. Interesting. Interesting. I'm, I'm going to say I'm going to buy this one. With the qualifier that Geronimo stays healthy. I think Andrew and I have both talked about how much we like St. Brown. That said, I do think that Gmo starts the season as wide receiver too. And he's proven that he has Rodgers' trust. So I think as long as he stays on the field, I think he will be wide receiver too. Uh, this week, Pro Football Focus tweeted out that in the first four games of 2018, Geronimo Allison ranked in the top 25 among wide receivers in the following categories. Passer rating when targeted, yards after catch, reception rate, and yards per route run. So that's a pretty impressive list there. So if GMO can sustain that kind of success, I think he will be hard to take off the field. Yeah, um, and I think people forget that Geronimo was on pace for a really great season last year before he got hurt. And um, despite that, I'm going to sell this one. I'm going to go the opposite way of you. All right. To me, Equinemius St. Brown looked like the most talented rookie receiver out of the three last year. 
and he was only 21. And I have not heard a single word about ESB's offseason, but my guess is he has probably done nothing but work out and train all offseason and learn the playbook uh, based on everything that I've ever heard about the guy, um, including the work ethic that he had, even as a small child and throughout high school and college. Um, And this is probably some crazy homerism, um, but I am going to attempt to out hot take this hot take. <laughs> so um, in in the uh, I'm spirit, nervous <laughs> in the spirit of the mother of dragons, you know, Dracaris, uh, I think Equinemius is going to be a top 30 NFL wide receiver by the end of this season. I so are you saying that I should trade Aaron Jones for Equinemia St. Brown right now? I'm I don't take my fantasy advice. All right. For sure. <laughs> I just think he is so incredibly talented and he has the work ethic to go with it. I just think uh, to me the fact that he was a 6th round pick last year made no sense. I thought he had third or fourth round grade written all over him. And I think there's going to be a lot of teams regretting the decision to pass on him. Yeah, absolutely. I'm really excited about Equinemius' second season. I think he can take that big jump. If you saw any of the uh, ESPN special on him leading up to the draft next year, you know his dad has just been on him all offseason as well, getting him in the best shape of his life. Uh, former, is it Mr. Universe? Is that what his yeah, dad was? Yeah, he was a two-time yeah. Mr. Yeah. Universe. So, so uh, he's not letting his son slack off if he's still hanging out with his with his dad, if you know that story. So, uh, But this has been really fun. Thanks so much uh, to all of our listeners for sending in their questions and their hot takes earlier this week. Make sure you find Andrew or myself on Twitter and let us know if you liked this show concept or not so we can do it again or not if you hated it. But again, uh, thanks so much for participating this week and uh, for sending in so many great questions and hot takes. It was a ton of fun. Yeah, that is it for today. This has been the Packaday Podcast. You can find Kyle on Twitter at Packer underscore Pundit. And you can find me at Andrew Murta. Please remember to also follow at Packaday Podcast. Subscribe and rate the podcast if you like what we're doing. Tomorrow's episode is going to be hosted by Mike, Tyler, and Chris. You can catch Kyle and myself every single Friday. Thanks for listening. And as always, remember... in the shotgun, Williams to his left, here's the snap, Rogers clean pocket, throws the middle of the end, and a dagger, they beat Morris Playboard, to the back line of the end zone, the Packers have won it, snap to Wild, oh yes, and taken by Jackson, in the end zone, for a touchdown, Geronimo Allison, Geronimo Allison, Josh Jackson, the Recovers in the end zone and a Lambeau lead to the north end zone stand. The Packers have a 6 nothing lead. Pepper on third down and three in the shotgun. Packers showing a blitz and here they come. Pepper looking. Hit as he throws it. Deep down the right sideline. And intercepted on the play. Spectacular interception by Kevin King at the nine-yard line of Green Bay. Snap to Rogers looking right. Throws the right side. St. Brown makes the catch. Nice reach. Oh, he reached back to gather it in using all six.
6'5 of his frame. Tumbled out of bounds. Inside the 30 of the 28-yard line. Hunter Bradley the snap. J.K. Scott down on one knee. Arm extended. Here it is. Placement made. Kick is up. And it's good. It is good. Mason Crosby delivers the dagger. One week after his worst day ever, he delivers the dagger tonight. Third and five. 13-yard line of Atlanta. Snap Ryan. Looks right. Goes right to the Second to the house. Bishop Greenland. Touchdown. Greenland Packers. 19-yard interception return. And it's 16-7 Packers. Rodgers looks it over. Takes the snap. Blitz on. They pick it up. Lopping out. They got him. They got him. Single back offense behind Aaron Rodgers, who ducks it under center. From the 29 in Green Bay, and here is the handoff up the middle.